Club. It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we hung out with Maya, aka MXM Tune, over Zoom video. Maya was born and raised in Oakland, California, and she talks about how she got into music. Started off on violin at a very early age, then moved on to the cello and was also interested in playing the ukulele. She started writing songs at a very early age. She actually built this whole community online without her parents even knowing it. She would post videos on YouTube and SoundCloud and eventually just gain this massive, massive following. It was by her junior year of high school. I think she had 50,000 YouTube subscribers and her songs were getting over 500,000 plays on SoundCloud. So she had this massive community online. I believe it was Vice Magazine shared an article they wrote about her on their Snapchat and a bunch of kids from school saw it. She saw it. So she had to go and kind of confess to her family like, hey, um, I know you guys don't know. I know you don't really want me, you know, posting personal information on online, but I've been writing these songs and uh, it, it became kind of bigger than I ever thought. So her parents weren't mad. They kind of embraced it. And she's just been growing and growing and growing from there. We hear about her first EP, how it was written, recorded in her bedroom, even up to the first album. She talked to us about moving to New York, having the pandemic hit and basically coming right back home to Oakland. We hear about her Dusk and Dawn EPs, releasing her album Rising, and this new deluxe version of Rising that's coming out with a couple additional songs, and she tells us about those as well. You can watch our interview with Maya on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be rad if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with MXM Tune. Hello. Hi, Maya. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It just was like, I'm in, I'm in Tennessee and Nashville, and it was like nice. literally pouring oh my so God. loud. And it just like right when you popped on, it just it just stopped. So I honestly am really jealous of you. New York's been in the like the heat wave. So yesterday was I think it said it felt like 107 degrees or something outside. So I would take oh some my. rain. I would take some rain over yeah. some like intense heat. Yeah. 107. That yeah, yeah. that's a bit hot. Um, I'm originally from Southern California and uh, it never got that hot. I mean, I guess sometimes if you went into like Palm Springs Mm -hmm. area, you could you could reach that. But like here it's still, though, it's like, let me see, like 80. It's 77, but it's nice. I'm from NorCal, so I can never handle the heat ever. Like even above like 65, I'm just sweating already. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I did read. I did read that. Yeah, you're from Oakland area, correct? (laughs) I am. Uh huh. I lived up in the Bay Area for about five years. Oh, wow. um, awesome. Yeah. And from 2009 to 2014-ish. That's awesome. Where in the Bay Area? I lived around like a bit. I was in San Ramon for a minute mm-hmm. and then I moved to Walnut Creek. I spent a little bit of time in Oakland and spent nice. like the last bit of my years there in the city for a short period of time before moving back down to San Diego. 
Nice. San Diego's beautiful. I wouldn't, yeah. I would move to San Diego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved the area though. It was so awesome. It was it's just great. a different uh, part of life, but definitely. Um, I'm Adam and it's so nice to meet you. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Um, this is about you and your journey in music. And we'll talk about the deluxe edition of the record or the album that's coming out yeah. next month. Mm-hmm. Very we'll exciting. <laughs> cool, cool. So are you, were you born and raised in Oakland? Was that your, like you spent your childhood there? Yeah, my entire childhood. I moved to Brooklyn when I was 19 years old. So I was in Oakland for 19 years, my, pretty much my entire life in California. And then I basically just decided to, okay, let's just move across the country, go the most extreme route I can, and then see how it goes. But oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Area. Okay. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to, I would talk to you about that move, but um, <laughs> prior to that, so Oakland, uh, what part of Oakland were you in? I was near like Lake Merritt area. So kind oh, of like, beautiful. yeah, like downtown area, sort of, I don't know. I was all over the place, to be honest. <laughs> I used to ride my bike around Lake Merritt all the time. Like It's take- changed so much. It used to be oh, okay. kind of awful. I mean, now they've like fixed it up a little bit more and it like doesn't always smell like awful, gross <laughs> bay water. Um, but yeah, I do. Oh, love, sure. I love Lake Merritt. <laughs> yeah, I would take. Uh, yeah, because you could just take the bar. I'd bring my bike on, just be standing, you know, get off and just ride around that thing for it's for great. a few hours. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. So, well, how did you get into music? I I think I read that your brother uh, kind of is part of your project a little bit, or he he started playing music early on, and you kind of followed suit, or vice versa. Like I can't remember. Not really. I mean, my brother is, we live together in New York right now, but he's definitely in his own lane of like creative expression. We're not quite okay. a Billie Eilish, Phineas team type of thing. More sure, so did, did he like, jump on a little bit, like helped you a little bit or not I really? I mean, off? I think he oh, was, he was also playing oh, music in tandem with me. I know. I, I think it's <laughs> like, um, he's, he's definitely like appeared on some of the stuff that I've done on social media and like okay, been around well, because I, I think my audience definitely has a bit of a crush on him. Um, okay, there you go. <laughs> which is, which is, you know, because <laughs> makes sense. Um, but yeah, I started music when I was really young. Like my mom kind of forced me to play it growing up as like a form of like learning how to, you know, have a practice routine and like discipline and da 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 da. So I was a classical music person for a little while. I played violin and then cello for around eight years. Um, and then I got into like songwriting because my school required it. And I just, I guess I liked it enough to keep doing it in the background of everything. And then somehow it's my job and I'm still trying to figure out how I got here. <laughs> oh my. Okay. So <laughs> y- your mom kind of pushes you into it. Mm-hmm. Did you get to choose your instrument and how old are you? I was six years old when I started playing violin. And I think at wow. that point it was like, this is just like a, you could do piano or violin, um, your choice. But she grew up playing piano. So she was like, this is something that I had to do. And let me see if my kids like it too. So my brother and I both took violin. And then eventually our teacher went on maternity leave. And then Dylan and I were like, yes, we're free. We don't need to play violin anymore. And then had to pick it up again eventually. But I asked my mom if I could play something different. And so I ended up picking up the cello instead. Mm-hmm. Oh, similar instrument, obviously. Yeah, but, just a little um, bit larger and harder to carry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do that through middle school, high school? Were you in the orchestra? Yeah, I was um, taking lessons throughout like middle school. And then a little bit, I started back at the end of my like two years of high school. I picked it back up again. I had put it down for a second because I was like, I'm so busy with school and being a freshman and being 14. It's just too hard to play the cello, Mm -hmm. which looking back on it, I'm like, of course, it was very melodramatic of me to like put down an instrument, but I picked it back up again by choice instead of like my mom forcing me to do it. And Mm -hmm. 
I ended up really liking it. I think it's been like very foundational to kind of my understanding of music and how you make it and what it can mean. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Um, when you were, but you also play ukulele, obviously, was that something that kind of came in later down the, down the line? It felt later to me, but looking back, I was still 10 when I first learned how to play it. Oh, wow. It. So, okay. so you're still, you know, yeah, still young. It was, yeah, I was still really young. I think a lot of this happened kind of around the same time. I was just like juggling instruments and singing and all of that. But ukulele was through my school's music program instead of like lessons that I was taking outside of it. And they switched it over from guitar because I guess it was just too hard for like middle school students to learn how to play an instrument with six strings. So they just changed. And it's big. You got to have bigger hands. I mean, there's yeah. quite a bit more to, to, like, to, to I go I still about. have like soft hands that don't have calluses on them to play uh. a guitar. So <laughs> the ukulele has always been better for me. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Did you go to an art school in Oakland? I didn't. I think it was just like a, it was just the music program was really well done at the school that I went to. And then I ended up going to like a technical art school for high school, but it wasn't really like focused on performing arts and music. So but it's to have kind a of a songwriting miracle. class. That's so yeah. cool. And that was in middle school. That was in middle school. I think my teacher, he, Mr. Burnfield is his name. He like changed my life pretty much and just kind of introducing me to it. But I think it was the first time he was trying it too. He was like, I'm going to try and make my class write songs. And we were the test subjects for it. And clearly I'm really glad I was in that group. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you still stay in contact? Or are you, like, yeah, he just came to, to a show that I, I went, I played recently in San Francisco. So I'm definitely still in contact with him. That's really cool. He's probably <laughs> so, so psyched for you. That's awesome. Yeah, he's great. I am definitely, I don't think he ever expected it. I never expected it. Yeah, we're both very happy. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, I mean, you took the songwriting class. How old were you when, when you took the, that class? I was 13 when I wrote my first song. And then I kind of just kept doing it. I like wrote four songs in like a month, I think at that point. And then I just, throughout high school, I didn't have like a music class that I could take actively. So ukulele and songwriting was something that I just kind of like privately figured out how to do in like my bedroom after I finished all my homework. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, it was all informal or through YouTube and um, I'm now here. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, you grew up, you're quite a bit younger than me and you grew up in this internet age, mm-hmm. so to speak. I mean, Instagram and, and all of this and like having that tool, did that allow you to, when you'd write these songs, would you actually share them right away? Or was it like, I, I'm just going to keep this to myself. Like what's kind of the story of how you really started to push your music on, on social media? Yeah. I really love social media. I think I always saw it as like a tool for creative expression. Like you're right. I grew up watching YouTubers talk about their stories and like I saw people share music on SoundCloud and all these different places that I felt like existed for people solely to just put their art into the world for other people to see. Mm -hmm. So it was really exciting for me to think about, you know, what sort of non-traditional career paths exist out there and like, how can I utilize these platforms that I see these other people doing and making things on for my own sort of creative expression. So, you know, at first I never shared anything that I was writing, but I did post covers of songs that I really liked on like SoundCloud or YouTube and found kind of my confidence in like recording myself and then like, you know, doing some after effects and then uploading it for people to watch or listen to. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of just like, you know, testing out what sort of process that is like. And then eventually just, you know, kind of throwing all caution in the wind and putting out an original song just to be like, I have 200 followers. No one's going to see this. Let's just try it out. 
Um, and then from there, it realized that like the 200 followers I had really liked that one piece of original music. Uh, and I just kept doing it. It kind of gave me the confidence to keep trying and um, I think get better at it um, through mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. So that was in, was that through YouTube or Instagram? It was kind of all in tandem. I think like I was very much involved in any form of social media that it could exist possibly. Like I was on Vine, I was on YouTube, I was on Instagram, I was on Twitter, I was doing SoundCloud. I was like doing every single thing because I think naturally as like a teenager growing up in the age of the internet, all of those things are very innate and like very, you know, built into kind of your Mm -hmm. existence and process of what you want to do with yourself. And um, for me, doing Instagram, doing YouTube, doing all of these things side by side was just kind of a way of like holistically building a sense of self online instead of kind of just focusing and pigeonholing on one form and one way of content. I was just doing everything. And I think that's still been the ethos of like my project since then of just kind of being involved and doing all these things because, you know, it gets to, it helps express like all sides of who I am instead of just one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've noticed like, I mean, just it's, you were in it and it sounds like you were, that was your lifestyle. I mean, you were living the social media world and a lot of people that are not people artist wise, but other, you'll hear people talk about like, well, I want to just like have that viral hit moment or I want to do this. Like, how do I get like a million followers? And it, I mean, for your story, it sounds like this is something you've just been doing. You've been living in that world for such a long time that you, you know, you can speak the language and, and like understand how, like what's happening in that world. Like, so somebody like me, I'm not always there and always in it. So I don't know. I have a 14 year old son that can teach me like what songs are hit. I told him yeah. I'm interviewing you and he's like, oh my God, I re- this song, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Prom Dress was a massive TikTok song like a year ago and it was like the top trending song. So like, he knows all that stuff and he knows what trends are happening. And there's something about just living it and, and, and breathing everything that's kind of going on there. And it sounds like that's just like a skill you've adapted since you were very young. Yeah. I've always been, I guess the phrase is chronically online, just like constantly (laughs) using the internet. And like, I probably use it fairly similarly to like your 14 year old kid is just kind of like, it's something that is built into your day-to-day life. And I think we see it more frequently now when we look at like, TikTok usage and just seeing mm-hmm. like everybody's on TikTok. Like my grandpa was on TikTok and like my parents are on TikTok right. and I'm on TikTok. And like it's now becoming something that I think is more naturally occurring and kind of people's understanding of the internet is so much bigger than it was even like 10 years ago. I think about like the concept of virality has changed so much oh, since yeah. like the last five years. Like a video with 2 million views was something it felt like everybody knew about. But now it's like, all these videos are getting like 20 million plus views and just like the scale is so much larger, but it has always been something that I've done just because I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, it's definitely helped a lot in kind of my understanding of how do I build myself and my presence online and, and share who I am with people through all these different sort of verticals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. I, I remember when, I mean, MySpace was a big deal when I was when I growing up and then it became like Facebook was this thing that people were doing, but it was like, yeah, I have a college uh, email address. So it wasn't like the cool thing yet. And then it became cool. And my mind was blown when I would see commercials like for Coca-Cola or whatever. And it was like, follow our faith, like us on Facebook. And I'm like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, this is so crazy. Like companies are paying into this and like buying into this whole social media thing. And then, I mean, now it's just like, and that doesn't seem like it was that long ago. And it's just like a totally different level. And it's Absolutely, just evolved yeah. so quickly. 
It's crazy. I am even like, you know, I'm, I would say I am chronically online, but even I am not always sort of in tune with what's going on because there's so much stuff. It's like, it takes so much energy out of you to constantly kind of be aware of what sort of the, what internet thing is going on. It's just like eight hours of TikTok consumption won't even let you know the extent of everything that's like popular in the world, but right. It's people so try. Cool. <laughs> it's cool though. I mean, to be able to kind of have this, especially with TikTok, I mean, you, you don't necessarily have to have a big following to post something that will get picked up and, yeah. and you could append, you know, eventually go viral. Whereas like Instagram and, and Twitter, or I don't know really about Twitter, but like those are the people that are actually actively following you that you're seeing, you mm-hmm. know, their stuff showing up. Yeah. Um, but with, for, for you, what was like, you start putting up songs of your own, you know, you said you had 200 followers, you put up the song and people are liking it. And then does it slowly grow your brand from there? Like more people finding or are, are, are your 200 followers than sharing your song? Like, how does it start like to snowball? Do you remember? I do remember. And it's kind of hard to like explain because I think so much of it was kind of like algorithmic luck in kind of what sort of content was being pushed at the time. And I was really lucky to kind of come up with the songwriters in the bedroom pop kind of era of SoundCloud and YouTube where lo-fi music was really big. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, Clara was starting to kind of first blossom and show like all of her music and everything. And for me, I think it was this thing where I posted like some original songs on my SoundCloud, um, but there were other sort of like tastemaker YouTube channels that were uploading it on their channels onto YouTube and being like listing the song title and the artist and people in the comments being like, wow, this is really good. And I've never heard this before. Who is this artist? How do you even say her name? Um, Which is still a thing that I see all the time. (laughs) It's MXM tune. If you're curious. Um, It's funny. (laughs) Just on the note on that, I was like, I thought it was when I first saw it, (laughs) I mean, this is a year plus ago and I thought it was Mm -hmm. mom tune. I was like, Oh, that's cool. Cause like, you know, a lot of people are taking like the, 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 the Mm -hmm. vowel and then making it an X. I was like, Oh, that's kind of a cool name. And then I researched it. I'm like, Oh, I was completely wrong. (laughs) You're totally fine. That's the name I claim. If it's incorrect, that's okay. You're not the only person that thinks <laughs> that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just kind of snowballs into this crazy thing where I, I saw like I was posting things and then people were kind of naturally populating it onto YouTube where it would get a lot of views and then people would find me on SoundCloud and then they'd look me up on Instagram. And so I think like having already established my presence on so many different sites really helped me when people were trying to figure out like who I was and what was I doing and like where was I posting because I was everywhere. I had MXM Mm -hmm. tune on Instagram. I had it on SoundCloud. I had it on Twitter. I had it on YouTube. Like it was very easy to figure out, okay, this is this girl. Like, let's figure out more about her. We'll just follow her on this platform and keep it going. And um, I'm glad that I got my Instagram handles when I did. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I know. It's like back then I can remember you you have to get all the same ones. If you get, you know, (laughs) if you got to have all three, if you don't have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, you're, you know, that's failure. But obviously now it's uh, TikTok as well and YouTube. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's so funny with, with that, like, so you, you know, you put this song out or, or you continue to put music out and your, your following just starts to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And then what was the moment where, because I did read that you obviously had a big viral moment that kind of drew even more attention in. And this was all something you were doing without your family really knowing what yeah. was going on. My parents had no clue that I was like posting on the internet as much as I was. And it's funny because I mean, both my parents are teachers. I grew up in a household where they preached internet safety and being like, you should never share yourself online and like, don't post like my 
own personal Instagram account was like, you know, I got it when I was 11 and it was this big thing because I didn't, I wasn't allowed to have an email address until I was 10. Like it was really, these were like these big steps for me. And so for them, they were like, our daughter's on Instagram where she posts her drawings to her friends. They did not know that our daughter is posting songs and videos and all of these things online. And also has YouTube videos where her music is getting 500,000 views. Like they had no clue. (laughs) And so eventually it was just this part where I I started getting like mentioned in more articles kind of around the bedroom pop scene specifically and like lo-fi musicians and singers. And there was one article from Hypebeast where it was posted on, I think it was like a, there was, there was something with Hypebeast and Vice kind of all in tandem where Uh they posted me on a Snapchat story, the like Snapchat page where all of these sort of news outlets have their own stories that people can check. And at that point, that was something all my friends used, all like Mm -hmm. my family members knew about. And I was like, oh crap, someone's going to tell my mom. And I needed to like figure out a way, like I need to tell my parents before somebody else tells them instead. Mm -hmm. And so I told them and I was just mortified. I remember walking out into the kitchen and being like, guys, I need to tell you something. I have 10,000 SoundCloud followers and like 50,000 YouTube subscribers. And like, I, it's so much bigger than I ever thought it was going to be. Please don't be mad at me. (laughs) My my parents were like, oh my God. And then I had to leave the room and I could hear them doing a Google search on me in the kitchen where like the speakers were like blaring my song covers and like my original music. And I was in my bedroom just being like, this is my nightmare. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Um, But they were safe to say, okay with it. They were definitely nervous. I think like as any parent would be if they found out their child was internet famous. Um, but, but they were, were probably they were thinking the worst. You're like, I yeah, got they were like, to tell oh my you. God. They're like, uh-oh. They really, I was like, my mom was like, I thought you were going to like tell us you were involved in something really shady. And I was like, no, I was just making songs about how I'm sad. Like, I <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So, I mean, having that type of following and then, I mean, 50,000 YouTube subscribers, doesn't that, that has to generate some sort of income too. Like, how do you even like, are you like, okay, we're just going to have to bypass the, I mean, I don't know. I what I didn't know how to monetize anything. Okay, so, so it wasn't was monetized. Just, yeah, yeah, I was wondering that. I'm like, wait a minute. She should, she had to be making a little money here too. I didn't and know how, do you how hide to. That? And I had no bank account or anything. So it was just like, <laughs> YouTube was so I happy. Just wasted with it. You. Yeah, YouTube was like, wow, this channel's great. We're like collecting on her behalf. We can't do anything else. Yeah. So, oh, man, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So how, were you still in high school when that conversation happened? And how, or how old were you? I was like 16, I think at the time. And maybe, maybe I was 17. Um, and it was also at the time where I was like applying to colleges and like touring colleges and trying to figure out, you know, what was I going to go study in school? And at that point, like that was still my next step was to go to school and pursue architecture, which was my degree mm-hmm. of choice. Still something I really love, but I'm very glad I did not pursue that path. Um, <laughs> But it was something that I was still thinking about. And my parents, I think eventually we all kind of came around to this idea of like taking a gap year and figuring out, like giving myself some time to kind of think of the next step without feeling pressured to kind of immediately go back to school. Mm -hmm. Sure. And especially with, you know, it's what you were doing was working, right? I mean, if it it was like, oh, this big moment happened and then it doesn't, right? I mean, if if it continually is growing, it's Mm -hmm. like. Uh, we can't really stop this yet. We've got to, you know, see it through. Exactly. I think my dad was just like freaking out. I remember he bought the book. It's like everything you need to know about the music business and like trying to help me manage my stuff. And I was like, this is 
so stressful. I was like fully working basically like a part-time, maybe full-time job sometimes when I was in school still in my senior year. I remember being in my like history lectures, like replying to emails in the middle of class because I was like, my inbox was full and I was trying to like get rid of the emails and the unreads and stuff. But yeah, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. My history teacher eventually realized what I was doing. And now he is, I'm always, I'm in contact with him still. He came to my show. (laughs) That's so cool. It's hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We're like going around school because the internet and and followers. And this Mm -hmm. is like, it's it's such a, I'm just, again, relating back to my, my kid who's going into ninth grade and that's like a life like oh my you know we got to get my followers up and this and my views and da 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 and like when you are going to high school and you've got this following did anyone else first off it it sounds like your parents didn't know but did Mm -hmm. people in your school know that you were becoming you know this this big deal online not really. I mean, I was the kid that was really quiet. I just like, I did really well in school. I kept to myself. I was a part of like a million extracurricular activities. And I had like my own personal Instagram account had 170 followers. I was never one of those oh. kids that was like really popular in like the friend group of like social media or anything. Like, I think that was something I saw growing up in the Bay Area was like everybody did try and get a lot of Instagram followers from mm-hmm. like just mutual friends or whatever. I wasn't like that. And I think it was surprising eventually when people did find out that I was making music by word of mouth and then also me appearing on their Snapchat story without, you know, I, I couldn't control that. Um, but they saw it and they would read stuff and they'd find out that I had a presence online. I don't think anybody expected it. I was like the last person that anyone would have expected to be famous online because quite frankly, I was really boring in high school. Like I just did like admissions work or I was a part of an acapella group and I did well in school and nobody would have would have expected that coming from me <laughs> yeah do you get hit up by people at that point though they're like oh wow like <laughs> like maya's doing has all these followers maybe she could shout me out or i did have a handful of kids from my school that were also trying to like blow up on soundcloud and i was just like super awkward and i was like i don't know what i could do like personally like i don't i i don't feel like i want to collaborate with rappers <laughs> like i just don't know that's my scene um but it was funny i think it helped me kind of like branch out a little bit and become more social with people in my class but it was also terrifying like you're in the most awkward period of your life probably ever and like to have people come up to you and be like yo let's collab i'm like that more this is mortifying i have no idea if i want to right do this. Yeah. no i can <laughs> For sure. And it's like, will we be chatting if you didn't find out that I have yeah. like a million followers on <laughs> exactly. everything? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so you take a, you decided to take a gap year. And while this is all happening too, our, you said your dad bought the, like, how to make it in the music industry or whatever book. Were, were lab- um, labels and people reaching out to you at that point? Managers going like, hey, like, you've got a lot going on here. Like, what's going on? Yeah, I had like, a bunch of labels in my email. And I think I was just overwhelmed. I didn't know exactly like what sort of process I needed to like go through in order to establish the next step. And I was really thankful. I think like my music teacher actually from middle school had a contact that he knew at a lawyer's office, like a legal office in Oakland that I ended up, I now work with him constantly. His name's Daniel. He's the best. And like, helped me kind of like navigate, okay, this is the first step. And it was hilarious when I first met Daniel, he was like, okay, there's this kid that says she's blowing up online. And then like, he eventually realized this was much larger than I think either of us were going to ever kind of expect. Um, But I really was super thankful to like have a lawyer on my side that could kind of help me navigate the waters of like management and thinking about publishing deals and distribution and all these things that I had 
no idea what any of those words meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got really lucky in that sense. I think everything kind of just fell into place. And I was really thankful that my managers are great. I've been working with them for four years now. And like, I've just been, I've met really good people through the process of the music industry, which was something that was always like a big fear of like jumping into this unknown world. Like both my educator parents and I had no idea about and trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, Did you put out Plum Blossom while you're still, I don't know if you heard that thunder. Uh, (laughs) The, did you put that out while you were still living in Oakland or had you moved to New York at this point? I put it out while I was still living in Oakland. I recorded like a handful of those tracks still in my guest bedroom, my family's guest bedroom. And I was working wow. with my managers at that point. So they were kind of like, let's make a project and make an EP and see how that goes. And I really ended up liking it, but I was still in the Bay Area. So yeah, I, I still love the Bay. I'll be back one day, but for now I'm in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and did that kind of change? Because that EP blew up too. I mean, you had all these songs. Did you take some of the songs that were doing really well from YouTube and, and put them all in one project? Yeah, we kind of repackaged like Feelings Are Fatal, The Idea of You and Cliche and mm-hmm. um, Temporary Nothing and kind of was like, okay, these are, you know, four songs that have kind of their own life individually. Why don't we kind of wrap them up together in a, pro- a project and also add like a few extra songs to kind of tell a cohesive narrative um, mm-hmm. and challenge myself to like, you know, I'll, I worked with a sound engineer for the very first time instead of recording everything on, by myself um, on my laptop and it was a really kind of exciting process to be introduced to all these other aspects of like what music creation can be outside of just sitting in front of my computer in the middle of the night on GarageBand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. And then do, when do you move to, to New York? Is this post or pre-pandemic? Like, would this you move was there? pre, okay, but barely pre, like January 2020. It was when I moved. My move-in <sighs> date was January 7th. And then two months later, the pandemic happened. Oh and I gosh. was like, this is great. I am having such a fun time. Did you move there the with your world. brother? Is that what I saw? Maybe He that's where goes I to college confused. in Brooklyn. So we live together okay. while he's still in school and that's I get cool. to have a family member here. So it's, it's good. We're really close. So it's nice that we get along well. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you moved, you guys moved to New York 2020 mm-hmm. January and then everything's going, I mean, at least your life was online, right? I mean, a lot of your visibility, it wasn't um, probably the touring shutting down and all that probably didn't affect you directly as much or did it? It did in like a certain extent, but I was really lucky that I already like Mm -hmm. knew naturally how to use social media and how to kind of be present online. Um, But I had just finished a tour for like a three month run across like the U S for the very first time in 2019 in the fall and the winter. Um, and so I was ready to kind of like go back out on the road again to do another set of shows. And then those shows eventually got canceled, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was really nervous. And I think I had finally kind of like gotten my uh, confidence up to go and do these sort of in-person things for the very first time and then realized that I wasn't going to be able to do that anymore. So it was simultaneously like really disappointing, but also kind of like, okay. I can breathe and I can kind of do something that I am really familiar with and comfortable with um, online, um, which was something that not everybody was comfortable with, with the, within the music world, right? Yeah. The, the pandemic. And now people have kind of had to learn how to use these tools, which is, I'm really lucky that I didn't have to go through that process, but it's daunting for a lot of people. Sure. I mean, I remember interviewing a lot of artists in the beginning and they're like, oh my gosh, I got to do these like Instagram live yeah. things and they're like the most mm-hmm. terrifying thing ever. Yeah. And you already had like that, you you had been doing it for so long and had, mm-hmm. the, had that confidence. 
Um, so when you put out uh, Masquerade, was that already out too before moving to New York? Because that came out in 2019 too, right? Yeah, or 2019, sorry. Mm-hmm. So um, it was, yeah, I worked on it a little bit. I worked on, well, not a little bit. I worked on the whole thing in 2019, but I was in New York for three weeks kind of recording and like writing up the rest of it, um, which was part of the decision to move here eventually because I loved it so much when I was working on the album um, with Robin Skinner, who's the producer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you, you're now, you're, then you're in New York, yeah. the pandemic happens. And then how do you move forward? Like then what? Obviously the world's in shambles for still, um, but you, you know, there was thunder again. <laughs> uh, so that's, you know, all happening. And are you just writing? Like, were you inspired by any of this? Like, tell me where that kind of led. I felt really stuck. I had just moved into my own place for the very first time. And I wasn't, I didn't end up going to college on the traditional pathway. So for me, this felt like my big moment to kind of like establish my own independence and figure out my own story in a different city. And then I got a call from my mom telling me, you need to come back to California. We have no idea what's going to happen. Like you and your brother need to come back like right now because, Mm -hmm. you know, we right. Don't know yeah. If gonna be and safe. and, don't know and New York happen. was like New York was a disaster at that. And it point. was like and, all. If you turn the news on, it was always New York. It was Cuomo yes, talking. And, exactly. and it was like New York is doing this and this. And like, yeah, this is happening everywhere. But it was just gnarly in New York. It was really nuts. And like, I think my mom, understandably so, and my dad were just freaking out and kind of being like, our kids aren't with us. Like, what are we going to do? And my family's really close. And so I ended up flying back to Oakland and I was there for five months. And so I had just moved into this new place that I was really excited about, just gotten all my furniture. And like, I was really excited to just put my roots down in my own environment and space. And then I was right back in the bedroom that I had just managed to like move away from. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, writing was really hard because it felt like, what am I going to write about? Like this, you know, world that we're living in currently Every single day is the same. I hop on the same Zoom meetings. I like am in the same room. I can't go outside because we don't know what's going on. We know no information about COVID at all. And like, I'm not living anything different. I'm back in the same exact environment that I had just written an EP about or just written an album about as well. Mm -hmm. So I didn't write. I think that was one of the things that was really hard too, was just feeling like I had no way to verbalize the way that I was feeling. I couldn't do it in like therapy. I couldn't figure out how to do it through songs. And so it was just kind of like this feeling of just being stuck. And I think a lot of people felt this way of just not really being sure how to put their like finger on exactly what they were feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you end up then moving back to New York at like how long until you can move back to New York? And then is that when you start to work on music again? I ended up actually having an EP that we released like at the very beginning of the pandemic that I had already written and produced like before the pandemic had began. Dawn and Dusk. So that was already done. Okay. So that one was done. And then Dusk was kind of, there was a couple songs where I was just like, okay, I did manage to write like one or two songs throughout the course of like eight months, which is kind of brutal because I was normally used to like cranking out music at like a very fast pace because it was easy for me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But Dusk was released kind of like in the later half of the year. Um, when the pandemic was like fully cemented and we were like, yep, we're going to be here for a while. It's not going to be just until July. And then everybody goes back to their normal. Um, so those two projects managed to come out. And then I went back to New York um, after releasing Dusk uh, to kind of just like get resettled in my apartment and everything. Um, and at that point, it was kind of like, OK, what do we do from here? And like we continue live streaming. Do we do a podcast? Do we do like 
any form of content that's maybe, you know, not music to give myself mm-hmm. like a break for a second. Um, but yeah, at that point it was kind of like, okay, we managed to release music through the pandemic, but like what comes next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you did, a, you, you, you had a podcast, right? What was, yeah. was that a cool <laughs> thing to do? I mean, did you have fun doing that? I Are did. you still doing it? I, I'm I, I not guess. still doing okay, it. I didn't Thank think God. so. When I was it was re- a very was ambitious project. And it, was, <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a daily history podcast. And I, I was so glad when I recorded the last episode, I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you did like three, you did one a day, right? For a whole year, 365? One a day for an entire year. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, when in doubt, just make a daily history podcast that goes for 365 days. <laughs> so how do you start? Is it like, and what's the, where does the history, anything to do with music or just totally whatever you felt like talking about? It was basically a mixture of kind of like we looked at like the daily by the New York Times. That podcast was like a reference for, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a really cool format. How do we make something that's more for like Gen Z audience and like talking about some sort of form of history that happens on the day that we're, you know, releasing the episode, Um, but also kind of talking about that day in you know, world history that day and music history. And then that, that day in like my own personal history as well, which Very I cool. didn't have that much. I only had like 21 years of history to pull off of. Um, and most of the time I was just getting boba and any of my memories of like what I, I was, was going to say, but that's so cool because you've been online for so long. You could yeah. pull, find it. You're like, okay, exactly. it's, you know, August 10th, uh, mm-hmm. 2015. I was, yeah. It, you know, getting boba tea by Lake Mary or whatever. It was. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was very much that. So it was, That's so cool. it was really fun. Yeah. It was a very cool concept. And I am amazed that we managed to actually do the whole thing. <laughs> so while that's happening, were you also able to write? And then, you know, obviously put out the rising or rising after the fact, mm-hmm. but was that something that was being worked on during all of this, this podcast and all these other things going on? Yeah. So the podcast, the main project that I ended up working on, um, I was asked by the team for Life is Strange True Colors, which is a video game. Life is Strange is like a series of video games from the company Deck Nine and Square Enix. Mm -hmm. And so they asked me to be a part of scoring the game and also doing some voiceover work for the singing voice of the main character, Alex Chen. So that was kind of like my main music involvement for 2021 was just trying to figure out like, what is that like to be involved with a video game and like scoring something and writing original music for a game, which was really, really fun for me. I've been a massive fan of the games for a really long time. So it was really, really neat to like get a in peek into the inside of the process. Yeah, so it wasn't a totally different approach, yeah. right? I mean, are you yeah. writing songs that have lyrics and hooks or is it just mainly instrumental? It's definitely lyrics and hooks, but also thinking about like, what does it sound like when it's an instrumental? Because who knows if they're going to be able to use like the actual lyrics in this part of the game, because it's more like ambiance or anything. But it was also like timing my singing so that way it matches up with the character and like her voice and like the way she's talking. And I was literally recording it in my closet back there. So everything was just happening in my bedroom again. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome what is and then is the next record with rising was that done in your house or did you were you able to get out and, and hit a studio that one <laughs> thankfully i was able to get out and like actually go to a studio and be back in session so that okay. happened mostly in like end of 2021 and like beginning of 2022 of just like finishing this record up and making it shine and, and being in nashville actually a lot of the time to kind really? of these songs yeah mm-hmm. you were so you were writing here were you recording here as well i was yeah i was doing a lot of work with my producer luke nikolai who helps co-write a bunch of this stuff and he's in nashville now so i i went there a lot <laughs> that's so awesome what would you say i mean obviously you're re you're re-releasing it with a couple more songs on it mm-hmm. as like a reissue next month 
but when you put it out, like, what would you say like a big, you know, milestone from that album was? I feel like it was the first time that I really made music that I enjoyed listening to. I think, you know, it sounds really like weird, like, why wouldn't you do that originally? But I think a lot of the music that I was making earlier on was out of necessity of just not knowing how to explain what sort of production and writing I wanted to kind of achieve with something. Um, And the ukulele was, it's a great instrument and I'm so happy that I know how to play it, but it was really like the only instrument I knew how to write music on because it felt kind of straightforward. It wasn't just something that I was like, I love this instrument and I'm going to make music on it because I love it so much. (laughs) It was just like, this is here and it works really well for my purposes. So I think this record was the first time that I have now had enough experience with sessions and co-writing and like working with people that I'm familiar with to really approach being in a session environment and actually like advocate for the music that I want to make and like explain it properly and well. Um, So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely the first record that I've ever made that I like truly feel like is exactly what I set out to do and all the songs I'm very, very proud of. Yeah. Such a great, such a great album. And then you released Kaleidoscope as well, which is a part of this, the re the reissue that's coming out. So what was the idea behind doing, doing a, a reissue of the album? I really have always just wanted to try and make like, I think the masquerade was a really great project for me. It's 10 songs and it was the first time I'd ever made a full length project. Um, But with rising, I was like, let's make it 12. And then actually let's make it 14 technically. And like, eventually we'll release the other two. Um, I think for me, it was just like, it feels like it's very symbolic of like an ongoing story, which has always been like what MXM tune has been about as well. And just feeling like every piece of music that I make, is elaborating on top of like the story of my life and the story of who I am. And so these songs and like this re release of this record with the deluxe tracks is really about like, you know, this is never ending. And like this project is very much about this piece and portion of my life, but like this is going to open the door for something else to also be released down the line as well. So I don't know. I think like narrative wise, it just made sense to kind of like have that format with this project and um, allow myself to like, kind of wrap it up with these two songs, but also kick down the door for something in the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, well, with Kaleidoscope, was this a song that you had written in that same, you know, time period, same sessions around when you were in, when, when you're in Nashville and everything else? Yeah, definitely. So uh, those okay. were written with a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they weren't something that came later and you were like, Oh, I need a, I'm going to piggyback. I need like these work with this project. Let's just, we need to add them on at the end. Yeah, I think like I I knew that they were going to fit kind of thematically with everything else that I had been writing just because it was done in the same space. Um, So, yeah, I wasn't too worried. I think it was just like, okay, let's just make like another song that feels really fun. Like maybe make it sound more like beachy vibes, which we haven't done yet on the record and like see Mm -hmm. what that's like. Mm -hmm. And how did you decide on the two that weren't going to make the original one or like the first time you, you obviously the first pressing I guess you'd say yeah I think kaleidoscope felt like it kind of was almost like the thesis statement for like the entire project and so maybe it's counterintuitive to like not include it on the actual record but I think it kind of it's almost like the conclusion sentence to everything else that had been like released and made already and so I chose the songs on the record with the intention of feeling like they tell like an arc of kind of what sort of story I wanted to put out in the world and kaleidoscope is like it feels like it's related, but it's not necessarily like built into the actual storyline of like what I wanted to make with the track list already. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like 
the extra added thought, but that's still in the same vein um, of what I was trying to explain. Mm -hmm. Okay. And have you announced anything on the other song? I haven't seen it up. Okay. Or is it out? And I'm just, it's not out. It's not out. You're not dumb. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I'm like, I don't see this thing anywhere aside from what I have. No, and I don't want to be spoiler alert. Okay. So (laughs) you're totally fine. I think can you talk about that one? Yeah, I can definitely talk about it. Um, So classic pony is the song. Yes. Classic pony is the track. And so it'll be the last one. And I think it's definitely like, the saddest song on the entire record um but still kind of in the like vibes of okay this is pretty chill and like it feels fun to listen to um but i think it's it's really about like kind of feeling sad and um wow that's so deep that it's about feeling sad um i'm trying to like kind of explain what it's about i'd say it's really like about the way in which kind of the saturation from our lives can disappear in certain places of like growing up and feeling like maybe we don't view things the same exact way that we used to, where I feel like rising is a very, it's a project that's very saturated by color and kind of the experiences and the feelings and the emotions and how strongly we can feel them. Whereas plastic pony, I think is about like looking at that and feeling like, where did it go sometimes in the aspects that we, in the moments we feel in our lives And so I think probably going forward, like that's a really great place for me to kind of like make whatever comes next is just, you know, I'm in this portion of my life now. I'm now not a teenager anymore. And I'm thinking about what does it mean for me to be in like my twenties and think about this next chapter of my life. I think Plastic Pony is allowing for space to kind of explore that while also kind of paying attention to what the rest of the record is already about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. And have you been able to i mean obviously this is coming out next month um so this is the big push right now but have Mm -hmm. you been working on new music are you constantly writing or is it something where you know it's coming you're like okay i can kind of sit back and just do the promo for it i'm definitely a sit back type of person (laughs) (laughs) i I give myself a break i think because i'm so involved on so many things it's just like i need a break every once in a while and and totally fine to take one but i am really excited to kind of go back into the studio and start working with people again on on whatever comes next yeah sure and like on a daily, you must be because you have you know such a big presence online is it something that you have to constantly be doing like you do set aside like okay i gotta set aside like three hours a day to just go on TikTok and then do this. (laughs) Like, is that like just part of your daily routine? It definitely like is to a certain extent. It's not scheduled in, but I will say I probably take about three hours to look through TikTok every day, whether or not I like notice it. (laughs) I just like am scrolling through my phone. Um, But yeah, I mean, being online, I think naturally like part of your job is to be aware of what's going on online. And so there's a lot of social media platforms to kind of keep tabs on and understand what's popular. Um, so I try not to give myself too pressure, too much pressure. I think earlier on, it was something that I felt extremely overwhelmed by and the kind of like constant doom scrolling that can take place when you're just on social media constantly. Um, so I, I try to maintain a healthy balance of it, but it is something mm-hmm. that I probably I do probably uh, consume content from the internet way more than the average individual. Well, you know, I meant yeah. too, like and when it comes to posting, do you have mm-hmm. to post every day? Are you posting daily on every platform? Not every platform. I'd say some of them I typically find myself like using more often than others. Twitter is one that I find I really enjoy just because it's super instantaneous. And TikTok is one where I'm like, say something like, yeah, like there's no thought to it. I think Instagram Uh is a little different than it was even four years ago and the way that people use it. So I I don't really use it as much in the most like natural way. I think it's more of a promotional platform than anything to me. Um, But TikTok is the other one that I'm like, 
I'll just like spam six videos in a day and like not think about it. I'll be gone for two weeks and then I'll hop back on it and like post eight videos. So okay, each of them is different. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Cause yeah, there's no real method. There's no to, to TikTok, at least from, I've talked to a lot of people that have big mm-hmm. followings on there and there's never like once Nope. straight answer where somebody's like, yeah, you got to post five times a day and yeah. you do this. And that. it's like, yeah, I post like 30 videos at once yeah. and then <laughs> I don't post at all. And mm-hmm. it just kind of, everything falls. It's There's just, it's no rhyme or reason. I am still trying to figure it out. I have no clue how that app works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If somebody can like crack that app, they will be, yeah. yeah it's <laughs> exactly. mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Maya, for doing this today. This has been so much fun talking with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a joy. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I have one more question for you before I let you go. And this could be related to any aspect of art. Just do you have any advice for aspiring artists? I would say don't overthink it. I feel like so much of art can sometimes be gatekept and like kind of what makes good art. Um, Nothing is like the set example of what something needs to be in order to be good. I think I grew up feeling like I needed my songs to kind of fit some sort of imaginary standard for like to be taken seriously but I don't know I think this project rising specifically was about kind of reworking that sort of thought in my brain and being like you know what you can make things purely because you enjoy them and not just because you think it's going to be good in somebody else's book so I don't know focus on your enjoyment of art more than you focus on what other people are doing.